Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we welcome back to our studio the state representative from the 1st Hampshire District. Representative, thank you so very much for being with us, one Lindsay Sabadosa. I am really pleased you can be with us today because there are two matters that Buzz and I really would like to talk to you about. One is something called Save the Commonwealth, and I wanted to point out that before we went on the air, I'm 100% in favor of saving the Commonwealth. The other is a bit down in the weeds, but it's something that's really interesting to legislators, which is hold on to your seat. Make sure your seatbelt is fastened. We're going to talk about Joint Rule 10. But it actually really matters in case you're interested in what kind of laws the legislature is going to pass soon or not, what legislative matters are going to die on the vine and which will progress. But first, save the Commonwealth. I'm 100% in. That's great, except that it's state of the Commonwealth. Oh, state of the Commonwealth. <laughs> oh, dear. But I'm so glad that you're interested in saving the Commonwealth, Bill. State of the Commonwealth. Okay. To everyone listening, this is what happens when Bill is not paying attention as we're discussing <laughs> what we're going to talk about. Which never happens. Never happens. This is a no. rarity. State of the Commonwealth. Oh, as in the, as in, as in the uh, governor's state of the Commonwealth yes. address. Okay, there we go. Well, she was in favor of saving the Commonwealth, too. So what the heck? Well, she said the state of the Commonwealth is very strong. So I don't she, think she thinks the Commonwealth needs to be saved. She, I think. She, she would did. argue that it needs to be improved, but not saved. She did, and she also managed to, in a, I thought, a quite stirring speech, did avoid the question of about $350 million in cuts that had to be made. Mm-hmm. I noticed that. Yeah, there were several things that were not discussed in the speech. I would agree with that statement, including the uh, recent spending cuts, yes. Okay, so. She, she was saving those for the Commonwealth. <laughs> <laughs> the state of the saving of the Commonwealth. So talk to us. The state of the Commonwealth, the I thought she gave a very impressive address. Uh, on the other hand, what we know is that the revenues for the Commonwealth are not growing nearly as fast as was projected, and therefore she has had to make mid-year cuts and is looking – I don't say she's looking forward to, but as a practical matter is anticipating – those reduced revenues going forward into the next fiscal year, which is going to make budgeting really hard and is going to affect cities and towns throughout the Commonwealth, I believe. But, okay, you're going to save us from the state of the Commonwealth. Help us out, Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. No pressure. Um, Well, I I would agree. I think that it was, um, as a speech, a very good speech. I know that uh, I I was present in the room, so I know that there was a lot of applause. There was a lot of um, excitement about some of the proposals that the governor put forward. Um, she did sort of two things that I think are, are probably very common for these types of speeches. Um, certainly things that Governor Baker did in the past where she sort of reflected upon her first year in office and what she considered the the highlights or the wins of that first term. Obviously, the the tax package was one of the things that she, she underscored. It was a priority for her. Um, the implementation of the Working Family Mobility Act, the rollout of Mass Reconnect, which is the program that allows people over the age of 25 to go back to community college uh, for free if they don't already have an undergraduate degree. I mean, those are exciting things. They're big wins. They're things that people in the Commonwealth are starting to take advantage of. Um, and she then laid out her plans for the next um, the next year or the next few years. And, you know, there were some really large priorities. I mean, it was 
let's figure out how we make free child care for every kid age four in the gateway cities. That's, um, I'm going to forget the exact number, but that's thousands and thousands of, of seats for students um, for free, which is, I think, a really noble cause, something that we've talked a lot about in the State House. Uh, she talked about continuing to support early education um, with some of the funding that went through in the last budget. Those funds, while they were released a bit later, were not cut. Um, and so, you know, we, we had this, uh, of course, housing production. We had the housing bond bill hearing yesterday, but she really talked about the importance of passing that and trying to address the housing crisis in Massachusetts. And, of course, she talked about affordability because I think that's the thing on everyone's mind. How can we continue to afford to live here? I hear this constantly, particularly from uh, young people and senior citizens. Those seem to be the two categories of people who say, I don't know how I'm going to buy a house and, and raise a family here. And then senior citizens who say... I don't know how I'm going to keep. I don't know how I'm going to keep a house. I have fixed income. My property tax rates keep going up. Um, Cost of living keeps going up. It's it's, this is an expensive place to live. Can I make a technical please suggestion? Yes, it's actually not that the tax rate is going up. It's that the tax assessment, the actual amount of tax, that is true, is going up. And and we've because the evaluations, the evaluations are are going going up. up. And we've walked a lot of constituents through that. It's not that your city and town has increased the rate. In fact, for some communities, that rate has gone down. But because property values have gone up so much, what you end up paying, which is what people really care about at the end of the day, what that bill says. Is more right. Don't even worry at a lower rate. Right. Don't worry about that. The check you have to write is increased significantly. Think about the good news that the rate we're charging you is less. Yes. Okay. No, so the good news I, at your house, we think it's worth more than we thought it was last year. I mean, the, the evaluations are part of this whole. The evaluations are. A huge yeah, part but, of it, this. but which, which is great, unless you have to worry about: Do you have enough money to pay exactly. for the increased tax assessment? Right. Right, and everything else is going up too. I mean, we know that there is still inflation, and so we see cost, just cost of living, increasing. And while it's great that your property values are going up, that doesn't really matter much to you unless you're selling your house. And right. if you can't sell your house and move to a more affordable place, then that's really not a benefit. Okay, so. <clears throat> You listen to the governor give her State of the Commonwealth or the State of the State address, and she did point to a number of successes in her first year in office. And I think you basically do agree and applaud those successes. Um, you want to tell us what you think the most important ones are and if there are any that you disagree with? I th- because. Max Page is coming on after you, and he's <laughs> going to have something to say about. Oh, I know. I actually I saw Max yesterday at the housing bond bill, and we we talked about the tax cuts and the uh, tax package as a whole. So, so you want you want to steal Max's thunder? Tell I'm us not going to steal say. Max's thunder. Tell us what he's going to say. I'm going to let Max say it on his own. Um, you know, I will say that the governor is in a tough spot because we are at a time of declining revenues. We we have kind of this perfect storm of federal funding going away, declining revenues. The business community, I think, constantly in her ear saying, we think the state isn't competitive. We don't, we're not optimistic about the future. And that may seem silly, but the, the psychological effect of the optimism of the business community actually plays a role in how the business community hires and makes investments and makes plans. So it does really overall affect the state of the Commonwealth. I see you want to say something, Bill. No, no, no. <laughs> I, 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 I think that's right. Um, it's not going to answer the question, which in the scheme of things is not all that much money, but is the benefit that has been given to the wealthiest uh, 
wealthiest persons in the Commonwealth who engage in short-term stock trading, uh, which is something I, I know drives Max Page, president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, a little nuts, given that we really need that revenue. But For um, sure, but capital gains also are much more complicated than just short-term trading. Yes. They also affect the real estate market and how business decides where they're going to locate and what they're going to invest in. So I would, while I don't want to spend the rest of our time okay. making that argument. Sure. I will say that I do think the situation is much more complicated. And I think that the economists that advised the governor were looking not at the sort of day traders or the short term investors benefit, yeah. who do benefit, but I think they were looking at the bigger picture of how do we keep companies to continue to headquarter in Massachusetts, which is a real problem. Okay. So we, we've had tax cuts, a billion dollars, right? Yep. That's, that's substantial. Yeah. And uh, housing initiatives, you're optimistic? Um, you know, I think the hearing yesterday really underscored just how complicated this problem is. I mean, everybody has a different solution to it. Um, I, we're not going to build our way out of this in the short term. It's just not going to be possible. And I, I, I think that if we don't create a plan, and I, I, I feel some optimism because I see that the chairs understand this. So we're taking, of course, the, the chairs of the, of the housing committee see this. And, of course, we'll take the governor's bill and we'll adjust and, and make changes to that before we move it forward. But I think the plan needs to be something that works for the entire state. And I don't know that the proposal as filed necessarily does that. So there, there are improvements to be made, but it's a good starting point. Could I pose this one question before I... Yes. Turn to Buzz for his question for you. I I would like to know a bit more about what you meant by we can't build our way out of this housing crisis because if we don't build the housing, there is no solution unless we're – I mean something else way more creative I guess. But building I th would think is actually the at the core. Building is a critical component but – I will say to you that the affordability of the units we build is also critical. Now, I see people every day who have been lucky enough, and I say lucky because there's not that many units, but lucky enough to find affordable housing in our community. And I, I think this is the thing we don't talk about. The, what they pay in rent continues to go up. And their ability to continue to live in affordable housing continues to be less and less. And if we spend time in our housing courts, one of the things that we see is most of these evictions are coming from our housing authorities and our affordable housing units. So I would say, yes, we have to build, but also we have to have a conversation that if we're continuing to build, put people in affordable housing, and then three or four years later when their salaries haven't gone up but the price of that unit has, and we're evicting them and putting them back on the streets and starting the cycle over, we haven't actually solved the problem. We've just delayed it a bit. And I'd like to point out to all of you listening that this is one of our optimistic legislators. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is why I say the bill is a good start, but we do have to address the actual affordability issues and talk about what's going wrong within affordable housing now. Buzz? Yeah, Representative uh, Sabados, I want to ask you about the, the bill talked earlier about the $375 million in tax yes. cuts. And there are double-digit millions that are not uh, – here's what I've heard – what I've heard is a lot of programs that provide Meals on Wheels and other services for seniors and disabilities, with only half the fiscal year gone, right. they are out of budget. They don't have money to provide services for people living in poverty who really need those services. Is, 
Are you experiencing that among your constituents? And what can you tell us about that? So I just I want to clarify that that wasn't the tax cuts. That was the governor's 9C cut. So that's where she came in in the middle of the year and and looked at the budget and said, I think we can cut money from here, here and here. Which is we should point out the governor has a legal obligation to balance the budget. Absent because the revenues have come. There's a revenue shortfall from what was projected. And we're halfway through the years. It's the total amount. So it's actually given that six months plus of the year, fiscal year is going by. It's actually on a year-to-year basis, those tax cuts are twice – I'm sorry, those re- those spending cuts are twice what you might imagine because it all has to happen in the final six months of the year. Right. Okay. So – um, yes, we are definitely hearing that. I mean, there are some of these um, some of these ninety cuts are extraordinarily painful. Um, I will I'll give the example of Hilltown Ambulance Service, um, which is uh, serves part of my district, although it's not physically located in my district. And serves my my district. There you go. <laughs> um, well, um, so one of the things that happened was they they received money in order to buy a life pack. A life pack is something that is on an ambulance and it allows the ambulance to just go from like a simple EMT to providing real life saving care. It's it's pretty critical. If you call an ambulance, you're going to want them to have one of these on on that truck. Um, They don't have, um, I think, more than one right now. And so this money was going to allow them to buy a second one. It comes in at about $55,000. That money was cut in half to $25,000. And of course, $25,000 doesn't buy the life back. Um, they are a nonprofit. I don't know how they're going to fundraise 25000 I just, I don't know what they're going to do. So like, yes, these cuts are really painful. And I mean, we can all go to the governor and say, you know, this was terrible. How could you do this? I think Bill is right. She does have to balance the budget somewhere. There's no place I think that she's going to cut where it's not going to be painful. Um, but I, when we talk about someone in Worthington getting an ambulance that maybe can't actually help what the problem is or having to wait for an ambulance to come from Westfield or Northampton. And that's a question of life or death. I heard about somebody who she's 88. She cannot drive. She can't, you can't see that one. She relies on meals and wheels and meals on wheels is threatened. Yeah. That's how she gets her food. So yeah. a lot of us are going to go shopping for her and stuff like that, but uh, it's a real crisis for it's some It's a people. crisis. Yeah. We are speaking with state representative Lindsay Sabadosa, uh, for those who said 9C, what's that? The quick answer is it's the section of the law that allows the governor to make these cuts. She can't add to the budget, but she has to balance the budget, and she can make these budget cuts on her own. Yes. yes. Does it, Dan, just quickly, if uh, there is a shortfall, could the governor have rescinded some of the tax cuts to try to balance it off that way? I don't think the governor can unilaterally rescind. Um, I think it would have to go back to the legislature. We'll continue our conversation with State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa right after this. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with the state representative from the 1st Hampshire District, Lindsay Sabadosa. 
We were talking while we were off air about transportation, which is a focus of the governor, and we're also talking about the governor's concern uh, expressed in part with regard to the tax cuts that we've disagreed about, but also with regard to any number of the infrastructure improvements that she is proposing, the question in addition to housing of transportation and the concern that she has about people not being able to afford and or for other reasons moving out of Massachusetts or the potential for that. What are your, what, what's your perspective, Representative? Well, I think that the governor, even in her speech, I mean, she makes it pretty clear that she is worried about this. And you see a lot of media coverage of the fact that, um, you know, people are moving out of Massachusetts. I think the most recent report showed we had a slight increase in population um, that was due, um, I believe, to a decline in our death rate. So that's good. Um, but also the migrants that are coming to Massachusetts, which I know um, can often be a point of contention, particularly when we're dealing with really difficult budgets. But I am I am going to continue to argue that migrants coming to Massachusetts is while there will be growing pains, is a really really positive thing for our state. Among other things, we need the we need the workers. We absolutely need the workers. We need young families. We need uh, people who want to start businesses here. Like this is this is something that we really need. And when you look at the population of the United. States as a whole, our country is also getting older, and immigration to our country is going to be critical in order for our country to remain, I hate to just say competitive, but like it, for our country to remain competitive, for our country to remain as it is today. That said, there are immediate costs for people to survive, Absolutely. and it's going to be a, a very significant expense for the Commonwealth yes. uh, until this long-term benefit really kicks in. It's definitely going to be a short-term expense for the Commonwealth. The governor highlighted in her speech, and I do know that this is true, that she has worked very hard with the federal administration to try to get them to come in, to do the clinics, to get work visas out. Um, We know that the jobs are there and that they're sitting there. Uh, So it... I, I don't envy the governor's position. I mean, there's a lot that she can do. It is also true that she's working within the confines of what the federal government is handing her. I think in a lot of cases she's trying to make lemonade out of lemons. There's the expression. And when we talk about transportation, you know, she's really been clear we have to go after every single grant. She has been really good at getting money into the state. So you know, there was just more money that came in for, for rail, which is fabulous. And we got another grant for the East-West Rail or West-East, if Smitty Pignatelli is listening. Um, we got more money for the Cape Cod Bridges. And that's infrastructure improvement that needs to happen. I don't think we've I – think, I know that she's going after money for the – the T, which was a huge part of her speech because it is deeply broken, um, but it's all very slow work. And the T is actually, I know here we here in Western Massachusetts get aggravated beyond words mm-hmm. about all the money that's going to, to fix the T in yep. Boston. But if you can't get around Boston, because you certainly can't drive very easily, and the T isn't working... People are going to leave Boston because it's an impossible situation. Which affects the whole state. Which affects the whole state. Right. One-third of our population is within what's called the hub, the, yeah. the, the, the Boston, greater Boston area. That's a lot of people. Representative Sabadosa, uh, we teased this exciting, hang on, Joint Rule 10, but it actually really matters. There's something important happening in the legislature soon. Tell us what it is and tell us at the end of that, we have to explain it, what bills you are hoping to see emerge and those that you'll be fighting for. 
So Joint Rule 10 Day is the exciting day to which Bill refers. I'm going to bring balloons in next year so that he actually is excited because every year he gives this speech about how it's not exciting, but it is. It's exciting because it is the day where committees have to decide what bills they're moving forward and what bills are not moving forward. Um, Often there are extensions. We're sort of hearing this year that there's a push to not have as many extensions. So guess what, everyone? There's a deadline, but there's a deadline. the legislature could actually extend it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the lights go out in Massachusetts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, I will say healthcare financing. I, get a l- I am on the healthcare financing committee. I get a lot of questions about that. Our deadline is actually a month after. Uh, joint Rule 10 Day, and the reason for that is that a lot of bills come to us from other committees. So we see a lot of bills from financial services and public health make their way. So we get a little time to have those bills come in and then review them before we decide to move things forward. So Joint Rule 10 Day is in February. It is. It's the first Wednesday. And then there's an extension, and I think there's a presumptive extension not beyond some day in April. I think that's something like that. No, it varies, varies from committee to committee. There, there, there may well be, but we all know extensions can be extensions. But I, I do think this year like, we're sort of hearing from chairs that they're working hard to be ready for Joint World 10 Day. Um, they have their sort of – they're putting together their priorities now, what they'd like to see move forward. I'm, uh, personally, I have uh, quite a few bills that uh, I'm hoping make it through, but uh, I think there are three in particular that we're really focused on. Um, one, I know I've spoken to um, to you all about in the past, but it is the Consumer Health Data Bill. Um, this is a privacy-related bill that protects consumers um, from having their data sold or shared that is related to their health, but health data that's not covered by HIPAA. I know that that's long and confusing, but the bill is actually very simple. Um, and we're very excited about it. We've uh, really worked with a broad coalition and a lot of stakeholders to get the bill in a good place. Um, and I think... And the bill in a sense does what? The bill protects consumers from having their data sold or shared. Thank you. That's, that's, it's really, that's it, your health data. Um, and I think that with uh, always looking toward the Supreme Court and seeing what thing they're going to throw at us next, um, a lot of this, inform- this data right now, the only federal re- regulation we have is through the FTC. Uh, federal it, Trade Commission. The Federal Trade Commission, thank you. And this week, the Supreme Court took up a case where they are looking to potentially overturn Chevron deference, which means that they believe that justices would no longer have to rely on the expertise of federal agencies to interpret the meaning of law. In the past, they have always deferred to experts to interpret uh, what a particular law says because they are experts in the field. If they overturn Chevron deference, which uh, having listened to oral arguments seems like they may well do, uh, that means that federal agencies will have less power. And when we're talking about consumer health data and the FTC, it really means that uh, some of the protections that we currently see may go away. It's really the possibility of gutting federal agencies. Exactly. Yes. And essentially saying to the new right wing controlled federal courts, you decide whether the Environmental Protection Agency can or can't uh, regulate X, Y, or Z. And just to be clear, like Justice Scalia used to be a big fan of Chevron deference. So to point out how far the right has gone to the right, they have now moved way past Justice Scalia, who was, I I think, probably the most right-wing justice I knew growing up. So here we are. Yeah. (sighs) Could you give us one bright spot to end on? 
Um, yes, this weekend. I think that you, you may have already previewed, previewed this, but January 20th, Generation Ratify is going to be holding a rally at Northampton City Hall. Young people from Northampton and Amherst are coming together to talk about abortion rights and to figure out how they can make change. They are organizing this on their own, and that's you know, I think fabulous. That's exciting. It means that we have young, engaged people in this valley who are taking action and pushing us all to do better. And so, who are pretty sophisticated in their analysis. They were on on, on the air. Here aren't they and incredible? And and only a few of them are interning in my office. So <laughs> <laughs> it's the beyond so, beyond row rally. It is indeed at Northampton City Hall tomorrow. Tomorrow, two o'clock, I believe. Right? Or, yes. Okay. Good. Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, thank you very much for the state of the state and for saving the state. <laughs> very welcome. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.